Hey there, Salem Fields. It's me, Pastor Jason. I'm your host for this online campus experience today. We are just so glad that you decided to join us for worship. You know, this is a kind of a bittersweet time for me as I'm kind of moving on to the new things that God has for me with the um, raw ministry, Resiliency Among Warriors. So this will be my last uh, time with you all on this fine um, day. Um, but we're excited to uh, kind of kind of get into the, the worship move here as we kind of get into the groove, I should say, uh, kind of get into the worship groove here today as Pastor Chris brings that message to us today um, and, and talking about um, what it means that when we have um, disruptions in life. You know, we all have had uh, disrupted lives over the past year with COVID and we're kind of getting back to normal, but what does normal mean? What does it look like? And and that even is the same for true for church and uh, not only just Salem Fields, but in the big context of church. So we have to make what she's calling the holy shift um, as we're talking about that this weekend. You know, we want to make sure that we're staying connected with you as well. So please take the time to fill out your connection card this morning by going to salemfields.com slash contact or just clicking on that box for the connection card right there in your chat room that's uh, right there. should be popping up right about now. And so we want to make sure that we're best uh, serving you here at Salem Fields. This is a great way for you to get that information to us. You know, we're also going to be kind of sitting back here in just a moment, just kind of uh, diving into praise as God's brought us through this week, and we're excited about celebrating those things. So let's just kind of set aside the distractions for the next hour or so as we kind of dive in what God has for us. And uh, be sure to stick around after the service for just a few minutes as I bring a couple more announcements to you. Let's get our hearts ready for worship today. Thank you. 
Good Memorial Day to you. It's good to have you here today on this Memorial Day weekend. Those of you in the house and those of you who are online. You know, throughout the Bible, uh, the Lord tells us to remember through his prophets, through the writing and scriptures, to remember. He, he told the, uh, the children of Israel to remember, to remember his word, to remember his faithfulness. We're called to remember. And I believe the reason the Bible tells us to do that is because with all the pressures and the deadlines and all the stuff that's going on in our world, it's easy for us to forget. It's easy for us to forget God's faithfulness. It's easy to forget those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice so that we could worship, so that we could live in freedom. And so we're called to remember. I grew up in a military family. I'm one of the few folks who was not in the military, and uh, my dad was disappointed about that because he thought at least I could be a chaplain, right? And, uh, and so uh, I grew up in that family. And for Memorial Day, we would remember we remember those who are, have been serving. We had, would remember those who had paid the ultimate sacrifice. And uh, sometimes we would have cookouts and we would just kind of live in the freedom that had been provided for folk, by those who had served and those who had paid the ultimate sacrifice. And my parents were Southern, so sometimes we would go to a gravesite and remember a loved one. But it's an opportunity for us to remember Memorial Day. And so I, I, I just pray that as you spend this Memorial Day weekend, that you would take some time out, do, do all the different things you might be doing to just remember, to remember those who've served and those who paid the ultimate sacrifice. Would you pray with me today? Father, we thank you. We thank you for those who have served, those who have served this nation, those who have uh, served in many different ways whether it's in the medical field or folks uh, on the front lines or those who have been chaplains, those who have just served and also those who have given, paid the ultimate price in blood for freedom. And so, Father, we pray for their families today, their loved ones today who are remembering a fallen person among them. And so, Father, we pray for them today that you would give them hope, that you would give them a sense of, of your presence. And, Father, we thank you uh, for freedom we thank you for freedom provided by those who have served, and we thank you for freedom provided by your son, Jesus Christ, who paid the ultimate price in blood so that we might be those people who are free. And Father, help us to remember. Help us to remember in the way that we work. Help us to remember in the way that we reach out. Help us to remember in the way that we are peacemakers. Help us to remember in the way that we serve God, you are faithful, God. So would you help us to remember today? We thank you for those who paid the ultimate price. And we thank you for your son. In your name we pray. Amen. We're so glad you're here today. I got a couple announcements as we get started. If you're a first-time guest in the house or online, we're so glad that you are here. And uh, we would ask you to go to our website, www.salemfields.com slash guests, and there you'll find a connection card, and you'll find more information about life groups and Next Generation Ministries. And it, it'll, there'll be a number of questions there that will be answered by you visiting us there at guests. Want to the, want you to know that one of the things that we do is we uh, give. 
a way of worshiping is giving. And so we do tithes and offerings, and, and uh, we thank you for your faithfulness. And so there's a number of ways you can give, and you can go to that same address and go to give, and you can give online. There are some boxes out here that you can put your uh, gifts in, or you can go and use a swipe card out here. And so there are a number of ways we can give, and we thank you for that. Let me say this to you. Uh, when you give, it's not something that just kind of stays here because we're a global church. And so when you give, you know this for most of you. It goes to Nigeria. It goes to the Philippines. It, it goes to India and all around the world to make a difference. In fact, we know about right now 20 cents on every dollar that is given leaves this place and goes somewhere outside of this community to make a difference. And so thank you for the way you give. Uh, there are a couple of announcements coming up, a couple of events, I should say, coming up. The family kite flying um, day is next Saturday. And so if you're interested in that, there's going to be some fun and some games for families. Bring a kite and join us, and you can go online and find out more about that. And then summer movie nights are back. And so that'll be fun. And so Friday, June 11th, we invite you to come. And here's the deal. You can come and bring a blanket. It'll be outside. And there, you don't have to have a mask on or any of that kind of stuff. And so come and join us for that. Hey, this is the first Sunday that we can do this a little bit different. And so whether you have a mask on or you don't have a mask on, we are glad you're here. And we are glad that we're making our way out of this long kind of pandemic nightmare. Anybody excited about that? I know I am. <laughs> I am excited about that. And here's the deal. I get to see your faces. I mean, I've, I've, I've been here. I've been here since August, and I've not seen your face. I went up to someone after church today, and I said, hey, are you new here? And they said, no, I just don't have my mask on. <laughs> and so I'm glad to see you without your mask. Hey, we're here today to worship God. And, and, and we pray that when you get done today, that you have sensed his presence, that you worshiped him, and that you are different when you leave here than when you entered. And so would you stand together? Let's worship the God who is worthy of worship today. God bless you.
tried to keep his out of the grave. The enemy fought you, he tried, but he lost. Because oh. you cannot be stopped.
faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. See, that's our hope. His promises remain the same. There's no expiration date to them. And when we think about seasons, there's always a start to a season and a beginning. And so we can have an assurance that we know that we will have an ending to everything, whether that's just on our last day with our last breath. But here's the thing. God is constant. There is no end to him. There's no end to his faithfulness. There's no end to his love. There's no end to his promises. They are our firm foundation so we know whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, whatever season, whether we're on the mountaintop or in the valley, his faithfulness is the same in both. That is our hope. That is our confidence. That's how we're able to face everything in life because we have a God who is for us, not anything that we have to earn, not anything that we have to try to strive to obtain. All we have to do is receive his faithfulness, receive his love, and choose to say, you know, Matt, no matter what, I'm going to stand on your promise. No matter what, I'm going to stand on your faithfulness. No matter what, I'm going to trust in the goodness that is you, God. So as we worship this morning, can we just bask in his goodness? Can we just praise him for his goodness? Can we thank him for it? Can we do that? Amen? Let's continue to worship.
Father, we thank you that you are the faithful God. And our story is and was that we can be faithless. That we have the tendency to run after other gods and make other things priority in our life. But you are the God who is faithful even when we're faithless. And so, Father, we thank you for being that faithful God. Through all the stuff that we've gone through, the ups and downs, the peaks and the valleys, you've been the faithful God. And we thank you for that, Father. And we ask for your power and your strength that we would too would be faithful. Faithful in our commitments, faithful in our service, faithful in our work, faithful in our relationships, faithful in our church commitments. Would you help us, Father, today to be those faithful people and Lord, would you help us to remember that the reason that we can be faithful is because of all the stuff in our lives, you've been faithful. As we've looked back over our lives, <laughs> you've been the faithful God. We thank you for that this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Ooh. How's everybody doing this morning? Uh, hey, 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 I like that. That's a little bit. Not yet, everybody, not yet. We ain't dismissing just yet. See, we got people trained up in this place. They just left right after worship. Not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. Man, I am so excited to be up here this morning to tell you that we've got some 2021 high school graduates. Let's give them a hand this morning. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. All right, so what I'm going to have all of our high school graduates do right now in this very moment is I want you to get out of your seats and onto your feet and make your way up to the front of the stage, please. Come on, come on. If you graduated high school, I want you to make your way up to the stage. Come on, come on, come on. You're the next contestant on The Price is Right. Yes, yes, Lord. Amen, amen. Y'all can make an orderly line. They taught y'all that in high school, didn't they? Y'all don't got to stand in the back. Y'all going to be in the front. Make your way up this way into the light. Look at my man, Caden. This is walking up here with all kinds of swagger. Look at him. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, first and foremost, you guys are my family. I believe in each and every single one of you. I have told you that on many occasions. Heaven, you're awesome. You know, ooh, ooh. I don't know whether that's confidence or cockiness. What y'all saying? Uh, well, I appreciate you either way. Kelly, Kelly, you're so great. You're so great. Maya! Everybody do that real quick. Everybody go, Maya. Maya. We appreciate you. Alexis. Hey. Alexis. Yeah. Alana. Woo. 
We appreciate you. My man, Caden, swag daddy over here. Woo-hoo. You tired, ain't you? Man, I thought you were supposed to be wearing a cap and gown this morning. What happened to that? I left it in the car. You, it's, it's in the car? Should he go get it? I'm just playing. We'll leave you alone. We'll leave you alone. We'll leave you alone. There are a few pictures up there with a lot of smiles. Hey, look at me. <laughs> um, there's one picture of heaven. Um, can we get that picture up real quick? I'm sorry, James. This won't take me too long. She just woke up. This was like mission impossible to try to get her to wake up. So I was like, heaven, we're going to be at your house. You can take it off now. Don't leave it up there. It's great. You look beautiful, right? Just how God created you. Amen? Amen. Right. So while we, well, I told your mama we was going to be there at 1130, and you didn't come to the door when we knocked. And then guess what I found out? You was in the front room. And so what I did, I used my old little high school skills myself to go beat on the window. I'm not going to tell you what I did back in high school and beating on windows. That's for the Lord to know. Not y'all. But, whew, I need to take a breather, take a breather. Um, on the real, guys, um, all of you at some point have been through high school. If you haven't, you're going to get there. Um, you all know the struggles that you go through. You all know the peer pressure that you go through. You all know the decisions that you have to make as a young person, especially in today's society. We are affected by so much. We hear so much. We see so much. And we have temptation inside of us that tells us to go forth and, and do what we please. But, but, everybody say, but. But. You all have a heart for the Lord, and at some point in time, you have shared that with me. And so because of that, the Lord is always with you. Amen? And so a lot of people define this as a time where they truly find their identity. But as we stand here today, we all can know that we find our identity in Christ. So with that being said, I just want to pray for you all. Can we do that this morning? Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for these young people, Lord. We thank you for every young person that might not even be here today, God. We know there are are trials and tribulations that each and every one of them are going through, right? And if they're not going through one right now, they're getting ready for one. But, God, you, are, you, you love us, God. You, you take care of us. You believe in us, God. You want to see us soar, and you want to see us do great things, so you prepare us for the next battle. So, God, as you go before us, as you lead us, strengthen us. Help us to grow. Help us to be more that even we couldn't imagine. Thank you for all that you've done, Father, and all that you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give a hand to these graduates one more time. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And ma'ams. <laughs> all right. You all can be dismissed. If you are in high school, if you are in middle school, we got the Journey Center back there. You can go and head back on there, and we can leave these old folks to doing what they do. See y'all. Thank you, Pastor Tone. (laughs) Congratulations again to our graduates. 
Hey, today uh, our, we're going to be talking once again about engaging the vision, and uh, Pastor Chris is going to come, and, and I heard this message first service, and it was outstanding. So open your hearts and, and get ready to hear the word of God this morning. This is uh, Pastor Chris's swan song message here. She uh, is going to become the lead pastor or she, of a Table Life Church. Uh, in Cumberland, Pennsylvania, it's a great church. It's an outstanding church. And although we're sad to see her go, uh, we're so excited about what God is calling her to. to. I said in the first service that Chris doesn't just belong to Salem Field. She belongs to the big church, the big C church. She's been ministering all over the nation. Um, She ministers to pastors. She goes and she talks about what's next in the church. And so this morning, uh, as she uh, gives her swan song message, she is pointing to what's next here at Salem Fields. And so I, hope, I pray that you will open your heart and that, that you will embrace the word of God. Give her a warm Salem Fields welcome. I thought I'd bring things full circle today. My very first message here at Salem Fields involved a whiteboard. And we're going to go out with a bang, y'all. So we're going to do this. And if you're worshiping at home, go ahead and get a piece of paper out. And you can draw along with me. Uh, or if you have something on your phone you'd like to draw to if you're of the... I'm a visual learner. That's how I connect best. So we're going to just dive right into that today. And whenever, whenever a preacher is preparing to deliver a sermon or a message, I have to say it's a really, really challenging thing um, because all of us are in a different life stage and situation. That it's so hard to try to speak to everybody at the same time. Um, you know, I get that. That it's usually so hard because you have to kind of pick and choose, like, am I talking to this kind of group of people or that group of people? You know, high school students is different than, like, you know, married couples and it's different than, you know, vice versa. Um, but today there's one thing I have to say, I would all say we agree that we have in common. And it looks something like this. That, I don't know about you, but I would guess this would be true, that that your plan for the last 365 days, I would say maybe like 400 days, let's add that up, looked something like this. So 400 days ago, it looked something like this. But we all know that, the, whoops, the reality was that it turned out to be something like this. Can I get an amen to that? That's your last year of your life. Yes, that's the last year of my life, that, that the idea is the same, life has been disrupted. Life has been disrupted, that there's been so many changes on personal levels, on family levels, on, on maybe your job, you know, uh, um, also the, you know, on the level of the church um, and in schools, right? Um, who is here as a teacher? You know, Amen, you are done for the year, the semester, forever, for virtual, and all that stuff you had to deal with. Um, and it was, it was shared with me that um, our graduates who we just celebrated, um, for many of them, it was the first time that their graduating class had ever been together all year at graduation. And some of them had never met their principal. They, like, who's, they went up to like shake their hand, like, who's this, you know? It's, it, we've all experienced what a disruption. But the question we're, that we face now is, 
what's next? What do we do now? And I think all of us, whatever your life stage, we're all struggling to understand what do we do when our lives are disrupted. And part of that has been the big C church, what we call like the universal church, you know, the church around the world, not just here at Salem Fields, but involving Salem Fields. And, and statistics show that um, church attendance has been down 28% year after year. This does not just include 2020 to 2021, but this also goes back. And that no longer is the church, is no longer is being a Christian, is, is church center of, the center of society. You know, you probably know more people that, that don't go to church or even, you know, call themselves Christian or maybe identify with any religion, the kind of nuns and the duns is what they call it, not like the like holy nuns, but N-O-N-E-S, that the church is no longer the center of society, that things have changed. And maybe you've even experienced this. Maybe before COVID, like, you know, you were attending regularly and then like COVID happened and things changed. You know, it was funny because I do also do the online pastoring and I experienced that shift. I'm a pastor. Like, there's just so much that has gone on. And I have to say, the last year has been especially hard for all of us serving here at Salem Fields and many of my pastor friends really around the country. You know, as we've tried to struggle with and grapple with, like, first, who's here? Who's, like, ghosted us? Who's not a part of this? And also, how do we continue to share Jesus with our community? How do we share Jesus with our neighbors in a time that, that there's just so much uncertainty? Well, back in March, a friend of mine named Chelsea, she runs this ministry called Street Church, which is in downtown Fredericksburg um, with the Micah community, with, with um, homeless individuals and formerly homeless folks. And they meet outside and worship together. Well, they held a community cookout, and this was in March when you know things were still kind of up, uh, pretty much up in the air with how things were going to turn out. So it was a social distance cookout. I don't know if you've had any of those, but they have existed, right? We never thought we would say that. Well, I joined in just to show my support and to see her and some friends. My other friend, pastor friend Greg was there, and we were at tables kind of set out outside. Uh, we had like wrapped food and stuff, and you we were able to at least see people and, and meet and mingle. And, um, and met people are wearing masks kind of in between. Well, as part of the night, as the night went on, um, some, one of the other activities was an open mic. Open mic slash karaoke. Well, we had like one person go up and they like sang a song or something and everybody clapped. And I was kind of like it for there. But I had all the speakers there. So, so I went to my friend Greg and to Chelsea and said, hey, would you all sing a song with me? And they're like, okay, we'll be good sports. So imagine this, three pastors, six feet apart, right, we're like this, in our masks, holding microphones, and what song did we choose to sing? Let It Go. <laughs> Let It Go, a Grammy Award rendition, may I dare say, of Let It Go from Frozen. And, and um, it was cathartic, I think, for all of us, because we all had like been like, just let it all go, right? You teachers be like, let it go. Parents, you're like, just let it go, right? I don't know how, if you felt that way this past year. You know, I sure have. But though we have felt it, should we really just let that all go the last year? Should we really rush to get back to normal? In the life of the church, even particularly here at Salem Fields Community Church, what should be our next action? Well, there's always tension, right? There's that any time that we face a challenge in life, that there's a tension that we experience between our choices and between our options and what we should do or what we shouldn't do. 
And that tension can be empowering, but it can also be uh, paralyzing at the same time. And, and the thing goes that here in our time, I think you've experienced this and I've experienced this as well, we experience a tension between kind of these two sides. This first being that says to us, go back and be fine, right? Go back and be fine. Everything's going to be fine. We're just going to go back to what was before. We're optimistic. Life's just going to be fine. But, but the other side, the other tension, side of that tension that we experience is something a little bit different. To confront. Confront and face reality. That, that we confront and face reality, that we want to face what we're looking at. And I think, for me, most of the time I gravitate here, I don't know if that's you, but most of the time I gravitate here first, at least, that I want to think that, that things are going to be fine if I just wait it out, if I just wait it out long enough, that if I just ignore it maybe for the time being, you know, and this goes for disruptions, you know, beyond COVID, but disruptions in our lives. But the problem is, it doesn't do us any good to be optimistic if being optimistic is to ignore the reality that's right in front of us. The longer that we ignore that, the greater the crisis and the disruption becomes. And so today, as part of the state of the church engaging the, the vision message, um, I, I don't want to just throw out like Chris's wisdom for living through disruption. That's not what I'm here to do. But what I want to do is to track with a biblical story, and it's probably one of the most important stories, I think, in the Old Testament scriptures, in the Hebrew Bible, the first part of your Bible. And it, it's, bec it's because it involves pain, it involves disappointment, it involves catastrophe, but also, ultimately, it's a story of promise and of hope. And that story is the story of the exile. The exile. And maybe for you, maybe you know, you're new to church or coming back or, or you know, you're exploring Christianity and you, you know, you're like, well, what actually is the exile? What are you talking about? Well, scholars actually believe there were three of them. There were three of them that took place in the, the first part of the biblical story. And I think, you know, the word exile, doesn't that bring up all kinds of emotions, right? Don't, we, don't you often feel like you've been in exile, you know, the last year? That, that there's been so many feelings that we had, we, we were taken out of normal and uh, what was known and then kind of thrown into the unknown, you know, no matter where you are in life. Well, let me give you just a, a quick 400-year history. Uh, we're going to do this in just a couple minutes of what kind of lays the stage for, set the stage for the exile? Well, you might have heard of this guy named Moses. And uh, he was put in charge of the Israelite people that were enslaved in Egypt. And they were enslaved in Egypt, and God called him through means of a bush, right? A burning bush on the side of the road. And voila, he has to call the people, this is the beast of burden, to go to Pharaoh and that awesome horse, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, how about that art right there? You could do it. And we're going to put like a bunch of crap on his back because that's what people do. They pack a lot of stuff when they move and fall. So he leads the people out of Egypt, and they're in search of 
a place that they're calling the promised land, promised land. And that's where they're headed, right? But um, what happens is that Moses doesn't quite make it there. His follower, Joshua, is the one that eventually takes the people of promised land. And they settle there. It's wonderful. Life is good. But then things kind of go up and down with their commitment to God. Well, lo and behold, a bit later, they look around. The people look around. And they see all these other nations. They have kings. And what does everybody do? You kind of peer pressure thing. When everybody else has, you know, those of you that have, like, the teenager, you get this. Everybody else has that new phone. So what happens? I got to get the new phone. So for them, it was a king. And then they're like, everybody else has a king, God. We want a king too. So they gave, uh, God gave them a king. His name was Saul, and he kind of messed things up. He was called of God, but then he took things into his own hands. Well, the next king after that was this guy that was a boy at the time, and he defeated this giant named Goliath. And what was his name? David, King David. And he proved to be a king of the people. And even more so at that time, even though he was making some weird decisions and not so good ones, um, he led the people to a time of peace and happiness and prosperity, right? Money talks. And, and things were good. Life was really, really good. They were protected. They were financially stable, all lots of good stuff. And, but the thing was, at that time, all these things, settling into the promised land, having a king now, peace and prosperity, it, it allowed the people to develop a religious belief that they were it, that Jerusalem was God's city and God's city alone, that they were God's people and God's people alone, that the temple was where God was and God wasn't any place else. He lived in the temple. And they believed that nothing outside of their city of Jerusalem could ever, ever, ever harm them. And scholars call this, they have a term for this, they call it the inviolability of Zion, meaning that because God was with them, nothing bad would ever happen to them. Well, those expectations, all of these, set the stage for the disruption that they experienced during the exile. Because dis disruptions are really unmet expectations, believe it or not. When we experience a disruption, there are expectations that have not been met. So what happens is in 605 BC, 605 BC, the Babylonians come. The Babylonians are big and strong. And they come in and they conquer Egypt. And then they go into the kingdom of Judah, which is the southern kingdom of Israel. And, and Jerusalem begins having to pay tribute to Babylon. So there goes that, right? And then even more, in 597 B.C., just a couple years later, Judah revolts. They say, no more Babylon. We're going to take things into our own hands, and Babylon squashes them like a bug. And what happens? Well, they exile the king. He goes, bye-bye. And then about 10 years after that, 587 B.C., Judah revolts again. They didn't get it the first time. They wanted to win things back. And Babylon, what do they do? They siege the city. They destroy the temple. They destroy the walls. And they remove the people and send them into exile for 70 years. 
So all of that falls apart in a matter of 20 to 30 years. And for them, as they reflected on this years later, they recognized that this was not just a historical event, but this was also a spiritual one. That disruption is a spiritual matter. But the thing is, there was this period when all of this was beginning to happen, a period between 605 and 587, the kind of in-between period, when the Israelites knew that there was a challenge. They knew that the Babylonians were, were coming. They knew something serious was happening. And they had a choice. They had a choice to listen to a voice. There were two voices that appeared on the scene. Two voices. Two prophets that appeared on the scene that God spoke to. One, his name was Hananiah. Hananiah. Maybe you've never heard of Hananiah. Well, we're going to look at what Hananiah has to, stay, has to say. Oh, wait. I'm sorry. I messed that up. He's wearing sunglasses because he's a cool dude. Here we go. Yeah, he's awesome. He has this, like, cool little hat here. And, and he has a lot of great things to say, this Hananiah. Um, and Hananiah, so he came on the scene, and he had some ideas about what God was up to and what the people should do. And at the same time, there was another prophet that you might be more familiar with or at least have heard. Jeremiah. He was not a bullfrog, right? So, so Jeremiah, yeah, great song, right? Isn't that awesome? Um, but so Jeremiah was the other prophet that was speaking at the time. And that's the story we're going to look at. And Jeremiah took, again, a different perspective on the situation and what was going to happen. And, and it's interesting because these two voices are ones I think that we listen to um, and that we often hear during times of disruption, whether internally or externally. And it's interesting because prophets appear on the scene. There's so many books of prophets in the Old Testament scriptures. They're really intriguing to, to read. Most of them took place during this period of exile. And prophets were, were involved with both foretelling and forthtelling. So foretelling is what we usually think of. Like they're going to tell the future, right? They know what's ahead, what God's going to do. But they also, they spoke truth to power. That was another one of their actions. Actually a more common action. So imagine that this is kind of a duel. That's the scene that we're going to step into, a duel between Hananiah and Jeremiah. And it's kind of like if you've seen the musical Hamilton, you know, you have Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. They're going to get into it, but this is without weapons. So, so who speaks first? It's Hananiah. And he says this, beginning of Jeremiah tw chapter 28. In the fifth month of that same year, the fourth year, early in the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, the prophet Hananiah, son of Azer, who was from Gibeon, said to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people, Jeremiah speaking here, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. I'll break the yoke of the king of Babylon within two years. Two years, I'll bring back to his place all the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, removed from here and took to Babylon. You might remember Nebi from the book of Daniel. Well, I'll also bring back to this place Jehoiakim, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the other exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. So you get a sense that Hanani is taking the perspective. He's, he's saying, things are not bad, guys. Everything's going to be fine. 
Everything and everybody is going to come back just the way it was before. And you can see why everybody liked him. He was so popular. People wanted to believe that. But, but that's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing to just assume that everything will, will go back and we don't have to respond in any way. Well, why? Well, I think um, economist and writer Paul Romer says it best. He says this, a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. Think about that. Crisis is a terrible thing to waste because crises often reveal issues that have been there all along. They bring it to the surface. Things that we haven't seen, but also things that we have chosen not to see. So think about that for a second. What underlying conditions did this past year reveal to you? About yourself, about your family, maybe about your marriage, maybe about your work situation? You know, what, what was, was brought to the surface? Something that, that didn't start during COVID, but had been taking place all along, but you just didn't have a chance to see it. Well, there's also underlying conditions that have been revealed in the Big C Church. And like I said, this is Phelan Fields, but also beyond that, that the church has recognized in this past year a couple of things. We're going to throw those up on the screen here. First is that we do a really, really poor job, and I'm not speaking for specifically Salem Fields, but for the Big C Church, we do a really, really poor job of discipling people. We get people to raise their hand and say yes to Jesus, but then that's it. And we don't actually teach folks how to follow Jesus and grow in relationship and share him with others. We just do a really, really poor job out. That's just speaking the truth right here. Um, also, just a lack of thick community. All these political issues, these things, you know, people that like aren't friends anymore, don't like unfriend each other on Facebook and don't talk anymore. That they reveal a lack of thick community that keeps people unified. Lack of distributed leadership. It revealed that, that many, of ta- many times in church, we think that, okay, well, the paid professionals are the ones that should do the ministry. That's not a biblical view. Ephesians 4 says it's that, that we're the equippers of the saints to do the ministry. But it's revealed that we've kind of gotten into that mode. Um, a building-centered model of ministry, and I know that we continue to wrestle with that here at Salem Fields because we're blessed with such a great building and a great resource but that so many things that take place here, that only take place here, that we think that you know, ministry has to be a part of what we do in this physical location, and that what we do as church, you know, if you're going to serve in ministry, then you better be a part of something that takes place on Sunday morning, and that's it, and that's we kind of box ourselves in. And then it goes to the last one, a Sunday morning worship-centered model of ministry. What does the rest of the week look like? What does the rest of your, your life look like outside of a, an hour, hour and a half on, on Sunday morning? All of this has really been brought to the surface during that time of disruption. So in that way, what a great opportunity. Don't, we don't, can't miss this opportunity to take things differently. Should we actually go back to what was? If these things are true, if what was happening before was not effective and not working, Because I don't know about you, but we often realize that things that once were good don't stay good. Things that we have been doing in the past might have been effective back then, but we're in a different age and stage right now. Like 1950, 1980, uh, 2000, they're not coming back. For some of us, we're like, thank God, right? But, 
but even good things from the past don't stay good. And if you don't believe me in that, then you need to take a trip to Pastor James's office. So he has all these things called tchotchkes, all these like little things he's accumulated from places. He has stories. When he first started, we started telling stories of them. Well, he's been going through them and throwing some of them out, thank God. Praise the Lord. And um, a couple of them are candy bars. Candy bars that are like labeled from like former sermon series, but former sermon series 20 years ago. 20-year-old candy bars. They were once good, but they're not good anymore. I don't know. Maybe the youth will take them and have a dare, you know, see. They probably got bugs in them. What was good doesn't stay good. And that's why I think, given our situation as well as what the scriptures say, I think it's time for us, get this, to take a holy shift. Can you all say that with me? Just, this is the cathartic part, right? Okay. It's time for us to take a holy shift. Please pronounce that F very well. So it is, it is, because the next part of the duel is where things really make sense. And this is Jeremiah's part. This is where he speaks into this. And his response in Jeremiah 28, 6 through 9 says, Then the prophet Jeremiah replied to the prophet Hananiah before the priests and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. He said, Amen. Right? May the Lord do so. May the Lord fulfill the words you have prophesied by bringing the articles of the Lord's house and everybody back from the, to this place from Babylon. Nevertheless, listen to what I have to say to you in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. From early times, the prophets who came before you, preceded you, and me, had prophesied war, disaster, and plague, the bad stuff, against many countries and great kingdoms. But the prophet who prophesies peace will be recognized as one truly sent by the Lord only if his prediction comes true. So Jeremiah says, in effect, there are serious changes going on. Jeremiah represents the opposite end of the tension. He says, I want to, hey guys, I want to believe that everything will go back to the way it once was. But we need to accept that there is a problem and there's some brutal truths that we have to pay attention to. Remember, a crisis is a terrible, terrible thing to waste. And what happened next? Well, Hananiah, Hananiah kind of takes the, the side, you know, I say, I think, of, I just think of Hamilton in this, like Aaron Burr, right? He starts getting all defensive here, and he kind of goes after him, and, and he kind of shares this, this idea about uh, how Jeremiah, he, ta- he actually physically starts reaching out to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah has this, like, yoke that he's wearing as, like, a representation of, of uh, some of the foretelling that he, he had taken. And so uh, Hananiah takes that yoke and he breaks it and he, he starts talking about how Nebuchadnezzar's yoke's going to break soon and he gets the crowd going, whoa, yeah, we're going to do this. And Jeremiah does what any good, mature, self-differentiated leader does when somebody does that. And he goes, okay, not my circus, not my monkeys. And he starts walking away. He didn't actually say that piece. But as he's walking away from the whole situation, knowing what was coming up, what God had shared with him, the Lord taps him on the shoulder and says, I have a message for you that you need to share. You know, how inconvenient, right? Throws him right back into it. Verse 13 says this, Go and tell Hananiah, this is what the Lord says. You have broken a wooden yoke, but in its place you'll get a yoke of iron. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. I'll put an iron yoke on the necks of all these nations to make them serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they will serve him. I'll give him even control over the wild animals. And then Jeremiah goes on to predict Hananiah's death, which then happens a few months later. 
and lo and behold, everybody, boom, is sent into exile for 70 years. So what, 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 is, what does that show us? Well, I think looking at this, looking at this, this tension here, authentic hope doesn't come from denying reality, but rather accepting it. Sometimes we talk about just have faith, just think optimistically. That's stupid. That's just stupid. Ignoring hard realities does not make them go away. You know, I think about these competing voices and these competing messages that everything's going to be fine or that we need to make that shift. We need to confront and face the reality. But optimism divorced from reality is not hope. And I think there's, there's two things going on there. The first is that the longer we ignore it, the greater the disruption. You know, you know this. There's been so many relationships during COVID that have just been tested. Maybe yours is one of them. The COVID's brought out really tough spots. I've had so many conversations about people in marriages. But, and I know this, it's easier. Those things did not start only when COVID started. They were going on long before that. But, but I know it's easier to say it's fine. It's no big deal. It's normal. We're just going to keep going on. But by the time you admit that there's a problem, by the time a couple reaches a counselor's office, things are really falling off the rails. Why, right? Why do we wait till it's the last leg to reach out for help? We do this other areas of life, financial life, in mental health. We do this with, with kids. We even do this in church. We wait till a church has 20 people left to actually start taking action to, to change something. But often it's very, very difficult to do. If we admitted there was a problem sooner, we would have gotten help earlier. But when we, don't, when we don't want to realize that there's a problem, we make what's coming even worse. There's a man named Jim Stockdale. He was a POW in the Vietnam War. He's written a lot. There's this, this famous term called the Stockdale Paradox that he speaks about. And, and he says this. He says, you must never, ever confuse, on the one hand, the need for absolute unwavering faith that you can prevail despite those constraints with on the other hand, the need for the discipline to begin by confronting the brutal facts, whatever they are. Isn't that true? Because the second piece of that is the longer we just choose to wait it out, the more we waste it out. We waste the opportunity. The only way through disruption is through it, but also to allow God to use it. It's an opportunity for God to do something new in it in our lives and, and in the church. But the truth is, some of us are just really good waiters, even though we've never served in a restaurant. We wait on the Lord. I'm just going to pray about that. You know, I'm waiting for the perfect time. I'm waiting for all these factors to come together. I'm waiting for somebody to ask me. I'm waiting for it to be convenient. I'm waiting for all these different things. And we, or we look around and we say, the sky is falling. I better hunker down. I better wait this out again. Um, there's this, this famous graduation book. It's really, it really wasn't originally meant for graduation, but Dr. Seuss wrote it. Um, one of my favorites called, Oh, the Places You'll Go. Maybe you bought this for somebody recently. Maybe you have a copy. I don't know. Great story and just very encouraging to somebody starting out. But there's this one little section here that we usually skip over in the book, or usually don't think of when you think of this story, and it's called The Waiting Place. 
the waiting place. And I'm going to read that to you. We're going to have a little bit of story time this morning. So, and Dr. Seuss says this in rhyme. I love it. You can get so confused that you'll start into race down a long wiggled roads at breaknecking pace and grind on for miles across weirdish wild space. Headed, I fear, towards the most useless place, the waiting place. For people just waiting, waiting for a train to go or a bus to come or a plane to go or the mail to come or the rain to go or the phone to ring or the snow to snow or the waiting around for a yes or a no or waiting for their hair to grow. Everyone is just waiting, waiting for the fish to bite or waiting for the wind to fly a kite or waiting around for Friday night or waiting perhaps for their Uncle Jake or a pot to boil or a better break or a string of pearls or a pair of pants or a wig with curls or another chance. Everybody is just waiting. But then the next line, he says this, Dr. Seuss, no, that's not for you. Do you feel like you've just been waiting? Have you been waiting too long? Have you been sitting in the waiting room way too long? Or waiting for that perfect circumstance to take an action or a risk? See, Jeremiah echoes those words of Dr. Seuss in chapter 29 when there's, the people are sent to exile, and he tells them this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase the number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek Listen to this. Seek the peace, the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, stop the waiting, guys. Here and now, see this, this time as an opportunity. The best time to make a change is actually in the midst of change believe it or not. It's not waiting for the change to leave. It's not waiting for perfect circumstances. But it's to do as God told the people through Jeremiah. It's to build your houses. It's to plant your gardens. It's to, to take this, to take this exile, whatever that disruption is, and to seize it as an opportunity for God's glory to be shown. And to hand it to God and to say, you do with it as you will. It's, it's a time that we are not afraid to make that holy shift. Because making a holy shift is a way that we see God seize that opportunity. Instead of trying to go back to what was, to move ahead to what has in store ahead. That's what it's about. And even for the church that goes, it's not about recreating the past, but it's about this creative God that takes the now and does something even better with it. To take the church Jesus loves closer to the people that Jesus loves. That God is up to something new. And I think there's a, a couple of ways that we're seeing this. Um, some of my work with other churches around the country and around the world. We're seeing this, this kind of shift in this time. Seeing that opportunity to plant and to build where we are. And the first shift is from safety to experimentation. See, the easy thing to do is to do what we've always done, to be safe in the events and the practices and the programs, to say, okay, we usually operate in this, what we call it, attractional model of church. 
that we say we're here we have great music and a great service on Sunday and we have awesome kids programs y'all come you know we'll have a couple events but the point is for people to come and that's good and we should continue to do that but what would it mean to experiment with some new things to actually go out where the majority of people are on a Sunday morning to actually be there and they're because they're people that Jesus loves just as much as they, he loves us here what if we gave people permission to fail, to try some new things, you know, to celebrate failures? Because I don't know about you, but the times that I've been overly successful time and time again, you know, if I've never failed, I have to question, have I been taking risks big enough that I, that I need God to act? Or am I sitting in my ability? Am I sitting in what I know I can accomplish instead of saying, hey, you know what, God, I'm going to go for broke here and I am going to try. You know, if you've been sitting in that safety, what about beginning to experiment? I, I, the second thing, shift from church in here to church out there. I alluded to this. There's so many ways that we could be doing this, folks. And I know Salem feels it's primed, I believe, to begin this kind of stuff. There's, here's the, I'm going to throw up a couple of examples of this. This is some of the churches that I've worked with. Um, one that meets at a burrito joint and is led by a non-ordained person. So somebody, he works a full-time job as an accountant. And he leads this, and they have about 40 to 50 people that show up to this Sunday nights. Um, there's Yoga Church, that's up on your right. Um, there's 5K Church, people that like to run, like me, and those of you that joined us in the Brisbane 5K, you know, they gather together, they go for a run, they share a devotion together. There's no music or anything, but that engages people that are like, church or Sunday morning, not for me, but I'll run, I'll get in shape with y'all. I like the bottom, the center bottom one. That's Dog Park Church. So a lady, she said, I'm going to start this thing. I like to walk my dog, and I meet all these people at the dog park, and I'm going to invite them to church at the dog park. And um, since they're a little bit more of a, like, a liturgical, traditional church, um, they usually do like the passing of the peace. People get up and like shake hands and that kind of thing. Well, as part of their church, they do the passing of the peace and the sniffing of the butts. <laughs> but, but they make sure that the dogs participate only in that section, the sniffing of the butts, that it's, yeah, only allowed that way. But what a unique idea. Talk about being the church. And once again, these are not pastors leading these things. What about that church out there? You know, even digitally, that the vision for Salem Fields that, that Pastor James has shared is 100% physical and 100% digital. Making the online campus that you are just as legitimate where you gather across the country, around Virginia, around the world, you're just as legitimate as those who are gathered here. Let's do that in a creative way. You know, what would a Jesus community look like for spiritually curious people in different places? Could there be golf church? I don't know. Could there be fishing church? I know there's a couple of guys who've been getting together with some young people um, on their boats. Could you make that a fishing church? Maybe. What about, what about fire pit church or walkers church or book club church? You know, doing those in creative ways, because that's the other piece, is a shift from seeding capacity to sending capacity. Now, I tell you, what I love about Pastor James is his heart is not for just filling this place with people, but it's about sending people. It's about sending people into our community and other places, Pastor Kelly to Philippines, Pastor Jason to his ministry with RAW with military members. That, that our job is not to create consumers of religious materials and practices. That's not the, our pa pastor's goal, but rather to send the people of God to do the work of God. What if you thought of yourself as a missionary, as a missionary cleverly disguised as a student, 
as a nurse, as a teacher, as a manager, as a mom, as a dad, as a neighbor, as a ball player, as an electrician? What if you saw yourself in that way, to, that, that you are sent to build and to plant where God has called you? I tell you guys, it's time to make a holy shift because the old is not working anymore. The old is not effective at drawing people to Christ. So we need to be in exile and use that as an opportunity. The holy shift is embodied, I think, not just in this story, but I think also in the life and the ministry of Jesus. Because I can't help but remember in the New Testament, as Jesus approached Jerusalem, he told his disciples what was going to happen to him. And what would they say? Jesus, don't go. Don't do it. It's too hard. It's too risky. Stay with us. It's really nice here. You know, we can go and travel and do all this kind of things. And just avoid that. And, but what did Jesus do? He went anyway. He chose the hard thing. The thing that most of us probably would have strayed away from. He set his face towards that. And because he decided to go to Jerusalem and eventually he went to the cross, the other side of that was what? Resurrection. That's the DNA of the church. And I believe that's the DNA of Salem Fields Community Church. It's God's call to you and to me. And what I want for you is to trust as you accept and deal with whatever disruption in your life or as part of this body, to begin to deal with the challenges, to know that God is walking with us to the other side. But the fake hope of optimism is not the way to live. But authentic hope requires accepting and shifting and walking into the future that God has ahead. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Lord, we know that disruption is real. We've all experienced that, Lord, in this past year, even in these past months, even, even personally. There's some of us here in this room that are encountering disruption in our, our medical um, diagnoses, Lord, and in our, our jobs and careers, Lord, I mean, in our schooling in our families, there's been so much disruption. And even, even here at Salem Fields, as we've tried to figure out what do we do now, Lord. And Lord, we just bow at your feet today, Lord. We, we just humbly approach you knowing that you are still Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And that you are in charge, God. And we desire to be obedient to your call. Lord, that, that we're not called to, to make things back into what was whether that's in, in our, our, our country or even in our church, God, but we're called to step into the irresistible future to build and to plant and to grow your kingdom wild, Lord, here. Help us to do that, Lord. And I know that you've been speaking to several in the room. I know you've been speaking to hearts and to minds and even just those little tugs and just, Lord, it's my prayer that that imagination would flourish and bloom, but also that we wouldn't stay in the waiting place, that we would have the courage to take those steps of faith, maybe have a conversation with, with Pastor James or one of the staff, or just begin experimenting, God, just like these guys with the, with the fishing boats, just begin gathering some people and saying, hey, let's see what, what can happen here. Let me, let me live out my ministry beyond the walls, Lord. And, and Lord, for, for those of us that are, are still trying to figure this out, Lord, that we're, we're here because we're, we are curious. We're spiritually curious. We would say, okay, I'm still learning about this 
Jesus thing, I'm not quite sure, Lord, that you would call us just one step closer. Lord, we know that, that Jesus' disciples followed him even before they believed in him. And Lord, we know that we can do that too. But, but that any time we can say that yes to Jesus, that, that even today, Lord, where, whether you're online or you're in this room, and you've been working hard enough on your own, and it's not working, it keeps falling apart, maybe your life is just falling apart right now, that you can turn to Jesus and say, Lord, I want to, you to be Lord of my life. And I'm going to turn away from what I've been a part of. I'm gonna, that means the, the past, all that I've wrestled with, and I am going to turn to you. And with that, I accept your grace and mercy, Lord, that you don't hold any of that against me. What an amazing thing that is to live that out. But that that, that is the first step to, to be a part of the call that you've placed on our lives. That saying yes is that step that is not the ending, but the beginning of being a true follower of Christ. And, and if that's you today, I, I encourage you to, to reach out to us, Lord, that, that you would just come to us and, and share that, and we would love to connect you with, with whoever uh, is part of the, those next steps, Lord, to make sure that that next step is a part of that growth in discipleship, God. But Lord, those of us who have placed our faith in you, help us to be bold, help us to be obedient, and give us the courage to step out and to see disruption as the amazing opportunity it is. And Lord, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Chris. What a great word. What a great word. So uh, I, I want to commission and, and, and send Pastor Chris, but uh, I got a couple of parting gifts for her. I, I'm going to let some stuff go. And so, <laughs> so, so this, is, this is the candy bar, expiration day 418, 2018. So, so here's my cray-cray candy bar, so I'm going to give that to her. And then, and, and then on behalf of the church board and the leadership team here, we just want to thank Chris. And this is representative of something, uh, just a small token of our appreciation for her and for her work and for ministering among us. And so that's for you as well. And uh, here's what we're going to do. Uh, this was Chris's idea. She, she wanted us to do something churchy in the end. She <laughs> so anyway, no, what we're going to do is I'm going to have you stand. And, and I so believe in commissioning people. I so believe that, um, that as we send her and as we commission her, that she always stays a part of Selwyn Fields Community Church. And that not only do we send her, but our prayers go with her, our support go with her. I'm, I'm hoping sometimes to exchange some kind of uh, preaching opportunities for her. Uh, the table to community? Table life. Table life. I always get it wrong. Table the Table Church. Life Church there in New Cumberland, Pennsylvania is an amazing, amazing church. And, uh, and they've called her and they're excited about her. And even though we're sad to lose her, we're happy for them. And so would you stand with me? And as you stand, would you place your hand forward? And it's almost as if you're laying hands on Chris. And we're going to pray a prayer of commissioning over her today. And thank God for her and ask God to go before her. Father God, we thank you for Chris. We thank you for this amazing ministry. We thank you, Father, that she belongs to the big church 
that uh, she's, we've been blessed to have her here at Salem Fields for a little while, and we've been blessed to have her energy, her fun, her missional mindset. Father, as we, as we commission her and send her as a sister church to New Cumberland, the Table Church there, Table Life Church, Father, we pray your blessing on her. Lord, we know you go before her, that you have already made the path straight Father, we pray that, that you would use her, that, that her influence, you would give her influence in the lives of not only folks at the Table Life Church, but also in the community there in Cumberland, Pennsylvania. And Lord, as she does ministry, not just there, but across the river in Harrisburg, PA, and wherever you sent her, we just thank you and we just believe that uh, you will, there will be people who, who live forever, who are part of the kingdom because of her passion because of her missional mindset because of the words that uh you speak through her and father i i pray that you would just increase her number father i, I thank you that uh that she's uh she's a a female pastor and we have too little of those in the church and father i pray that you would increase her tribe father that you would raise up other females in our community right here at Salem Fields Community Church and the churches as large in large thank you for her we give you praise and um, father we um, we're grateful you tell us to remember and we're grateful for her and for you sending her our way and so father as a church we send her to Pennsylvania believing and trusting that you go before her in your name we pray, amen. Please have a seat. I'm going to give Chris the opportunity to kind of make her way to the door there. And let me tell you what's coming up next couple of weeks. So we're going to do two more. We're going to go back to, we're going to do one message here to wrap up uh, engaging the vision. And we're going to talk about how you can engage the vision. We're going to talk about taking, we call it vision teaming. And we're going to take these four things that I talk about, connecting, praying, reaching, and serving. And we're going to ask you to jump on a team. And we're going to get as many generative ideas from you as possible about how we might connect, reach, uh, that, how we might serve, and how we might pray. And then we're going to ask you to be on a team for a month, and then we're going to switch teams. And we're, gonna, we're hoping that that you'll be on all four teams and that we will get enough generative ideas and we want to just kind of make those happen right away. So we have one more message on engaging in vision and then we'll go back to CrossFit and our last exercise will be submission. It'll be submission. That's a hard one. And we're going to talk about that and then we'll wrap up the CrossFit series and then uh, after those three messages, we will begin the summer series in Revelation. I have been studying, I, even this morning, because I wasn't preaching today, I was doing some work on that series. And so we will begin to run into that series, a verse-by-verse -verse, uh, summer series that will take us three summers to get through on the book of Revelation, I think you will love, love, love that series. And we're going to walk through it together. I'll get an outline of the book out to you really soon as we begin to, we're probably not going to call it Revelation. We're going to probably call it something else, but it will be a series on Revelation. I, I definitely want you to show up the plan to be here this summer as we go through that book and look at what God is saying to the church uh, these days. Hey, we, we so appreciate 
appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. Love you guys. See you next week. And by the way, it's good to be here and to be in this setting. Would you agree? Man, I, 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 I'm glad to see your faces. I'm glad to see your faces. I mistook, I mistook someone for a visitor in the first service, right, because of that. So it's good to see your faces. See you next week. God bless. Hey, we're just so happy that you decided to worship with us. We hope that uh, you were able to kind of hear what God had for you um, as Pastor Chris delivered that message today. Um, you know, if you want to know more about uh, the message today, please be sure to check us out on our Deeper Dive. It happens every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on our Facebook page here at Salem Fields. Um, it's a great time to kind of uh, put together some questions. If you even have questions about today's message, please email us at deeperdive at salemfields.com. You know, if you're also wanting to be connected with a, a life group, please sure to email us at Salem Fields, um, at small groups at salemfields.com, and uh, you can uh, talk with uh, our small groups director there. Again, this is uh, Pastor Jason signing off for the very last time. So, as uh, the Truman Show says, everyone have a good evening, good afternoon, and good night.